0: your version uh, to read along this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, That will be the main text this morning. Um, That's where we are going to be. Well, one of the great things about coming home happened when we came back uh, this week. Our neighbor was taking care of our dog, Jane, 100-pound German Shepherd, and one of the best things about coming home is always that reception you get from your dog. Can I get an amen on that? No one is happier to see you when you come home than your dog. I guess cats are happy too, uh, but dogs are probably most happy. It reminded me of eight years ago when I had a serious conversation with my dog, Jane. Our family at that point was, was in the midst of making plans to move back to the United States after 10 years in Brazil, and seemed like the right time for this conversation with my dog. Now, you may think that's weird to have a conversation with a dog, um, but she really seems to listen, okay? She really seems to pay attention when I talk to her, and so I thought it would be good to clear the air about some important things. Now, we had a cat as well, but there is no need to have the conversation with the cat. When I talked to her, she just kind of she has perfected this look of total disconnect when I talk to her. Like, you know, just who cares, right? Um, I mean, she reads the paper. She does anything but pay attention to me. And I thought at one point that my cat's hearing might have issues until I noticed that she can hear the food being put in her bowl from like a half mile away. Her hearing is just fine. She just doesn't want to hear what I have to say. Now, our dog is different. She pays attention. So I decided to clear the air with Jane and we had this talk because we were moving back to the States. Big changes happening. And so, Jane, there's some important things you need to know. And I just said it. For starters, you are not our biological daughter. <laughs> I think dogs kind of get confused about that sometimes. I just thought she needed to know, you're not our daughter. You're actually adopted. She seemed a little surprised by that. And you could... Frankly, you could hear a pin drop. The room got very quiet at that point. I could see sadness in her big brown eyes, um, perhaps a tear forming. Okay, dogs don't cry, right? But anyway, I said, you know, do- I said, Jane, you are a dog, uh, a member of the Canis uh, Lupus Familiaris group. We are human beings, so you can't be our child. Um, I mean, think about it, Jane. We use anti flea shampoo on you. We don't need anti flea shampoo because we're humans, we're people. Now, you may be thinking, why have this conversation? Um, I mean, couldn't you just continue living in this fantasy where she doesn't know about her adoption into our family? Well, the deal was on our trip back to the U.S., we were all going to be nestled safely and comfortably up in the, the cabin of the airplane, you know, watching a movie, having a snack, eating dinner, and she would be in her crate below, and we just wanted her to understand kind of why that was going to be happening. And so I think she got the message. I think she got the message. We're people. You're a dog. Um, she seemed to understand, and she's doing well with that. Okay, just in case you're wondering, she's, she's doing, doing well with that. There are times when you need to have that conversation. Maybe not that one, okay. But you need to have a serious talk. And maybe some of you all had to have a serious talk over the past few days when you saw family that you hadn't seen in some time. And maybe you had prayed about that. And, 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 and that moment and that conversation that needed to happen. There is a time to have the serious talk. 2 Timothy chapter 1 is one of those moments. Paul has decided it is time for a serious conversation. With Timothy. Now, they had had a lot of serious talks. Missionaries do that when they work together. There are a lot of important things to iron out. There are often differences that need to be ironed out, there are burdens to share, there are plans and strategies to be developed, um, and, and, and things of that nature. Well, Timothy was a young missionary who was working to establish a congregation in this leading city of Ephesus. Paul had helped plant the church in Ephesus, or had been the primary church planter there in Ephesus, but had since since moved on and was now serving as Timothy's mentor, as Timothy's trainer, really as Timothy's father in the faith, and, and certainly as Timothy's closest friend, So the backdrop is that Paul is now, he's aware that he's growing, uh, he's moving toward the end of his life. He knows he doesn't have that much time left here, and so he wants to pass on um, wisdom that he has picked up over the years. And to be clear, Paul and Timothy had a very close friendship. Okay, very few men ever experience this deep of a relationship together like Paul and Timothy had. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 3, we learn that Paul thought so much about Timothy that he prayed for Timothy day and night. Later, a few verses later, we learn that when Paul and Timothy... um, uh, split up the last time when, when Paul traveled away, that Timothy wept over Paul moving away. They were very close. So, the words that Paul wrote in this passage, it's not just passing on some information, okay, some tips. This is not more um, ministry training. These are the, the words that he's going to pass on, are really matters of the heart about deepest questions of, of faith and life. So, Paul knew he wouldn't be around much longer. And Paul wanted to know that Timothy would thrive, that Timothy would do well after Paul's departure, uh, that he had everything that he needed to live out his full potential in Christ. Paul wanted to see the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, blazing in the life of Timothy. And let's face it, there are a lot of different things that young people live for, okay, that younger people care about. I'm sure some of those have changed in the last 2,000 years, but young people have already always um, seen things from a different perspective from people who are a little more seasoned, perhaps. And so Paul wanted the Spirit of God to interrupt any kind of worldly or mundane, mediocre ways of thinking, and for the Spirit to consume Timothy with the passion for Christ and the priorities of Christ and I want that as well I want that for myself I want that for my family I want that for you I want that for us as a church that we would be on fire with the passion of Jesus Christ and the priorities the kingdom priorities of the Lord as as well so that we can reach our full potential as well I I think we want that as a church so let's go to our text this is 2 Timothy. It's a short text. Just a couple of verses. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. You'll need your Bible this morning if you're going to follow along. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. Here is this serious word from Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy. I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Now, Before we think about what the Lord is saying to us, and I believe he is speaking to us through this, let's be sure to think about what the Lord was saying through these words to Timothy. After all, they were written to Timothy. Mission work is hard, I can tell you that. Um, I can think of fewer things more difficult than planting a church from zero in a city the mantle of leadership weighed heavy on the shoulders of this young church planter, Timothy. Soon, Paul would not be around anymore. He wouldn't be getting more letters from Paul after 2 Timothy. Questions about Timothy's age and experience, we know, were in play in that church membership there in Ephesus. Um, also, the church where Timothy served, and this is really hard, I think, for us to understand or appreciate, um, but just have a notion, uh, this was a church that was divided, and I don't mean divided in that everybody hated everybody, but really kind of culturally divided among the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. It was one church, but two groups of people who had very different backgrounds, okay? Um, Not an easy place to work. For Timothy, now I kind of think about us, and I think, well, is that unusual? I mean, um, is 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 that really that special? I mean, certainly the um, the the particularities change among churches, but is it is it is is the work of the Lord usually a piece of cake? You know, (laughs) is planting a church and seeing it grow and thrive is that usually something that just kind of happens with no effort on cruise control? Well, obviously not. Um, but I think when we think about Timothy's situation, it, it's, it's easier to grasp why he might have been struggling with what Paul calls a spirit of timidity. A spirit of timidity. When the work is difficult, when questions are being asked, it is easy to doubt yourself and even doubt your calling. And Paul knew that. By the way, let's not confuse here, let's not confuse humility, which is a really good thing, and timidity. Those are similar, but quite different. Okay, Humility is a recognition of your limitations. It is a recognition of your humanity, especially as Christians, in the shadow of God's awesomeness we can't help but be humble when we look at christ jesus at god the father at the holy spirit timidity is a different thing though Um, being humble honors the lord by recognizing his greatness by recognizing he's god and i'm not Um, timidity that involves being being unassertive unassertive Timidity is fearful. Timidity is is a sense of self-doubt. Okay, Um, So being humble honors God. Being timid doesn't. Uh, The posture of timidity is not the posture that a believer should have in life. As Paul said, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Quite the contrary. After all, how am I going to grow up into the identity that Jesus bought for me on the cross when I'm constantly doubting that identity because I'm timid? And so the spirits of fear can creep in that causes us to be defensive and that causes us to be unsure when we deal with other people and even to question ourselves. I mean, me doing great things for Jesus? And you can enter your script there. I'm, I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too poor. I'm too rich. I'm too busy. Um, I'm too new in the faith. I'm too much of an introvert. Um, I'm too this. I'm too that. What if people don't want to listen to me? What if people reject me? What if my talents are not up to the task? It's easy to question ourselves, even natural to question ourselves. A posture of of timidity then, is this blast of cold water on the fire of the Holy Spirit, this gift that has been given us. Another thing that happens um, to us when we are spiritually timid is that we stop taking risks. I mean, the truth is that we are here as disciples of Jesus Christ, adopted into God's family, we are here in the middle of a battle between light and dark, between uh, good and evil. We see that in the world. I mean, uh, we, we see it everywhere. The battle between God and the battle between Satan. We are in the midst of warfare for the souls of mankind. This is no time to stop taking risks. This is no time to be unassertive and to be fearful. We are called to live by faith, not by fear. Um, read the Bible, right? I mean, dozens of stories of men and women who lived by faith. People who took on long odds, uh, people who dared to do great things, people who broke free from the group think of the majority that was saying we can't do that and they said yeah we can god is with us people who are moved by their faith in god not their fear in whatever present difficulties they found themselves surrounded right whatever difficult circumstance they looked to god and they knew that that things could be different so I will say this, a little correction here. A timid Christian, I think, does have a certain kind of fear. There is a certain kind of fear that a timid Christian has. Um, they, they have a, a general belief that God is not going to act. I mean, there's a certain faith that God is not going to act in this situation. I mean, they kind of believe um, that great things won't happen. I mean, there's a belief there, there's a faith that, that great things aren't going to happen, um, that the best years are behind them. Um, it, it, it really is a certain kind of faith, I think. I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty sure that defeat is just a whisper away. Um, they're pretty sure that when they pray for something important, something big, they're pretty sure that even though they're praying, nothing is really going to happen. Yeah, there's a little bit of faith there. It's not faith in God, but there's there 's some kind of faith at work there. Um, when they pray it 's kind of like the Indian that goes to the rain dance but doesn 't take an umbrella right i mean uh, they 're pretty sure I'm, hey we 're going to pray, but you know nothing's really going to happen. Um, the timid Christian is 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 described um, a lot of places in scripture, but one place is in matthew twenty five uh, Jesus gives us a wonderful um, if if not painful, I guess a little bit painful description of a timid believer in this parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. It's the guy in the parable who is so concerned about the possibility of disappointing his master that he decides to play it safe and to take the master's money, you remember, and just bury it. And then the master comes back and he uncovers it. Here's your money back. Um, And instead of, of course, instead of praising this cautious fellow for his timidity, for his carefulness, Jesus uses, in verse 26 of Matthew 25, Jesus uses two very harsh words to describe this person. He calls this person lazy and wicked, right? That's how Jesus feels about being consumed by a spirit of timidity. Lazy and wicked is that person. Paul understood the danger, though. He understood the danger. Um, He knew that if his protege, Timothy, was going to be kind of unleashed to do kingdom things for the Lord, for the gospel, that he would have to break free from this sort of hyper-cautious living, if he didn't, then the work in Ephesus would simply not move forward. And it's amazing to me, I love it, how we get the opportunity to see how when believers make a conscious decision to believe in God, when believers make a conscious decision to embrace this faith in God how God honors that we get to see that it's neat to see that really is I, I I think back in our time in Rio very early on in our mission work I don't think I've told you all this story before but it was one of those uh, one of those moments very early on we were still meeting in our basement all right the church was meeting in the basement of our house there in Rio and very early on so we had we had started looking for a a piece of property that we would be able to rent Right. Um, it was kind of an interesting time in the church, so we're having worship services there in our basement, and we actually had hired our first employee, a church secretary. Without, it would really be valuable to have someone that, that knew Rio and that spoke Portuguese well. When you're negotiating, it's good to have someone on the phone doing the negotiating who doesn't have an accent. right? Just put that out there. And so we had, we had all this going on. We were, looking for, we were looking at all these different properties, but there was a, a pretty good robust list of criteria that needed to be met the property needed to be in the right neighborhood we had prayed and come to decision that Madureira was going to be the right neighborhood so it needed to be a property in Madureira. it needed to have sufficient square footage it needed to uh, have uh, be on a a principal street where we would have good visibility because we didn't have a big advertising budget so our advertising was going to be there in the visibility anyway a lot of things so we finally found what we thought was the perfect... Pro- I mean, it met all of the criteria. Um, we could afford the rent and everything. And so we began negotiating on this, on, this, on this building. That's when our realtor called and gave us the bad news. The bad news was that HSBC, yes, the multinational bank empire, HSBC, they were negotiating on the same building and their budget was was a little bit bigger than our budget and she said I'm sorry Um, we can start looking for other properties and and we were disappointed and I remember one of our first members there in Rio uh, a young woman said you know I think we're going to get that property and we all kind of looked at her like HSBC wants that property she said I think we're going to get that property she said we just need to pray about this if God wants us to have that property we will have that property and so we we started praying we kept looking by the way for other property but we did start praying about a week went by the realtor called and she said you're never gonna believe what just happened the property owner, yeah, that ideal property there in Monterey, The property owner called and said, HSBC has dropped out of the negotiations because apparently the property doesn't. Ha- it needed for a bank, according to city regulations, there needs to be an entrance in the front and an entrance. In the back, and the back was just a little enclosed courtyard area. So that will not work. They were trying to address it, you know, do put in a new entrance or something in the back or whatever. They can't do it, so they're out. And the property owner wants to talk to you again. And so we got that property. Take that HSBC. I mean, the real issue wasn't wasn't city regulations, all right? The real issue was the Lord wanted us to have that building. And walking by faith, choosing f- faith over timidity, faith over fear, it, uh, we know this, it doesn't mean that things always work out the way we want them to work out. I mean, we know that. Um, what it means is that we have faith That everything will certainly work out the way God wants it to work out. Amen? That's what we believe. That's what faith means. I can be bold. I can be confident. I can ask for whatever I need to ask for. Believing everything will work out according to the plans God has. And as a believer, that's enough. That's what I want. I want what God wants. Um, So walking by faith means that we are confident knowing that the Lord is at work in the world accomplishing great things through His people and, by the way, we are His people! Now, back to to Paul and, and Timothy. Paul wanted Timothy to get a hold of this. So back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. If the flame of the Spirit is to grow in Timothy, if the flame of the Spirit is to blaze in us, Paul says in verse 7, he says, there are three conditions that need to exist, okay? Three conditions. If this gift that we have been given is to flourish, three conditions that need to exist, they are power, love, and self-control or self-discipline. Check out how this works, okay? Okay. We are called to live with power. Uh, everybody wants that. I want to live with power. We're called to live with power. The Lord says that we, we need to uh, embrace our identity as his children. He calls us to believe in him. Um, he can do anything. God can do absolutely anything. And when his people believe in him, then anything is possible. Okay? Okay? Let's bring this in close. I think this is where we need to land on this. Do we have this precondition, this, this, this attitude of power, if you will, or would it be more appropriate to say, as I look in the mirror at myself spiritually, that I, have more, that I operate more from a posture of timidity? I mean, I th- that's just a question. There's not a, an answer there necessarily. It's just something to think about, something to grapple with. Um, Jesus, by the way, Jesus in his ministry was very unimpressed, let's say. Very unimpressed by powerless thinking and living. Uh, Mark chapter 9, one of many examples. We already saw one in in Matthew 25. Mark chapter 9, right after the amazing story of the transfiguration of, ...of Jesus on top of that mountain... ...Jesus comes upon his disciples... ...and he finds that they have been trying all day long... ...to cast a demon out of a young boy... ...and they have not been able to do it. All right Now their reaction to this failure to this inability to cast out this demon is a very common reaction, all right? Um, A lot of times when religious folks are frustrated by a lack of visible progress, this is exactly what they do. In Mark 9, what they're doing is they are having a theological argument. That's what religious people do when they get frustrated. So in Mark 9, Jesus sees that they're having this doctrinal debate amongst themselves and with the religious leaders there. Ah, hmm, nothing quite so refreshing, is there, uh, than a doctrinal fight when things aren't going well. Then off to the side, there's the boy's dad, right? The boy's, he's still demon-possessed. The boy's dad loves his child. He's still very concerned. And and the, the boy's dad says to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, circle that word in your mind, if you are willing, would you please heal my son? I love Jesus' response. He's, Jesus is like, wow, this is quite a day. If I am willing, if I can drive the demon out, you've got to be kidding me here. And so in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, Everything is possible for him who, remember, him who believes. Everything is possible for him who believes. And I think you can hear a little frustration in Jesus' voice in verse 19 when he says, Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long do I have to put up with this? Um, how long do I have to put up with you? And so at the end of Mark 9, of course Jesus has cast out the demon at this point and everything, and the text relates that Jesus goes off to be with his disciples to teach them. Yeah, I bet he had some teaching he wanted to do. Hey guys, how about believing in me? How about a little faith here? When are you going to start living with power? Now, Having said this, think about the text there, 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. Power by itself is kind of scary. In fact, it can be kind of terrible, honestly. Ministry that is power-based tends to crush people. Ministry that is based on money... Strategy and talent is doomed to fail if it is not motivated by love. Okay, um, Paul wrote in to Timothy in that verse that power and love come together—a spirit of power, a spirit of love—that they're they're inseparable. Okay, um, and if you want to know what that marriage looks like of power and love. And just, you can do this at home. Go to to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and you'll see what that looks like. Jesus Christ had all power, Um, walked on water, cast out demons, cured all kinds of illnesses, Um, the dead raised back to life when Jesus gave the command. He had all power, okay? But Jesus. Well, his power was constrained by love. It was channeled by love. He didn't go around using his limitless power to do favors for himself, create opportunities for himself. He used his divine power to, as that passage says in Philippians 2, to become a servant, to empty himself and help others. So power is a wonderful thing when it's motivated by and channeled by love. It's kind of a scary thing when it's not. Now here's the really interesting, I think this is the interesting slash curious part of what Paul is telling Timothy in this serious conversation in 2 Timothy chapter 1. You know, love and power, love, power. I mean, the most compelling, attractive things in the world, love and power. And then Paul comes along and throws in self-control. Self control is not a sexy thing. It doesn't sell cars or beer or football. Adver- I mean, self control. I've heard a lot. A lot of people come to me and talk about why they came to church. A lot of good, re- a lot of real, just honest reasons. You know. I started coming to church because I had been through a painful divorce. I started coming to church because I'm struggling with addiction. I started to come to church because I've never really felt loved. And this idea of God loving me, um, I mean, lots of reasons people come to church. I've never, and I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but I've never had anybody say, Gordon, I started coming to church because I need more self-control. I've just, I haven't heard that one. Um, I haven't heard that. There may be someone that's there, but I haven't heard that one. So check this out. This is the cool thing about this. Self-discipline, self-control actually gives you the freedom to love when you don't feel like loving. There's freedom in self-control. It gives people like us the capacity to love people who are different and people who are, quite frankly, kind of difficult to love. Right? Also, self-discipline enables powerful living because self-discipline allows us to, to hold on as believers when we face a situation that is hard and that is not going away. Okay? Self-discipline allows us to hold on to the Lord when we find ourselves in a, in a situation that looks impossible. Right? I mean, self-discipline lets us stand firm. It lets us stick to our ground. It lets us persevere. It, lets us, it, it, it allows us to continue to believe, to hold on, and know that victory in Christ is ours. Without self-discipline, we'd waver and we'd be like, I'm done, you know? So Paul tells Timothy to fan into flame this gift that he has received from God. Let's go back to the text. We'll finish here reading the text and praying together. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Let's pray together. Lord, all glory and power belong to You. You alone are sovereign. You are, cre- are the Creator God who has constantly demonstrated Your power and Your love among Your people throughout history. Lord, in the culmination of all... human history, the life, the ministry, the death, and the triumphant resurrection of Jesus, that culmination of all human history, you have called a new people out of the world. We are so humbled, we are so grateful that we are counted among your people, that we are your precious possession. And so we come this morning and we ask you in the name of Jesus, to fan into flame that gift that you gave us when we came to faith. Lord, you did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Grow us up into that gift so that we might thrive and flourish for the glory of your name. And we pray this with faith in your name. Amen.